Well, good morning, everyone. If you're in the room, you look incredible. If you're watching online, a big welcome. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and just say a good morning. Good morning, good morning. Hey, this week I was emailing a lady named Jamie and she told me she has been tuned in online for the last period of time and she's been watching live stream online, made it her online church home. Jamie from Oregon. Oregon? Oregon? I don't know, Jamie will have to let us know. But big welcome, Jamie, big welcome to everyone online. Hey, we've got snow falling. We've got the lights on the trees in Lake Michigan Drive. We've got our prayer ornaments. The church is looking amazing. Hey, this has nothing to do with the message, but just because I feel like I'm like on a Christmas tree farm and about to go cut down my tree and bring it home. How many of you are real Christmas tree people? You go out, okay, there we go. How many are the fake Christmas tree people? Saving the world one tree at a time. There we go, good for you. Well, the countdown to Christmas is on. In fact, it's 27 days to be precise. For some of you, that's exciting. For others, you're like, there's so much left to do. But with the countdown to Christmas comes our Advent countdown in church. Advent is the weeks leading up to Christmas where we eagerly anticipate the birth of Christ. And this morning, we get to start a new message series to go alongside this Advent countdown called Illuminate, looking at how Christ's birth illuminated the world, how Jesus' coming brought hope and joy and peace and love. This morning, we're talking about hope. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to Luke chapter one as we go through the Christmas story. Now, fun fact, Luke one is the longest chapter in the New Testament. It's only 80 verses, and we're gonna read all of them this morning. <laughs> but Pastor Jim did tell me, since it's the longest chapter, you get an extra 15 minutes to preach this morning. That didn't happen either, that didn't happen either. But I'm excited as we go through Luke chapter one. Would you bow your heads though and pray before we start? Lord, we give you this service. We give you this morning. Thank you for your church. Thank you, Jesus, for coming to this earth, the hope of the world. Would you give us open ears and open hearts to receive this message today? In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, in two weeks, my wife Allison and I get to go on an epic adventure. We are going to Fairbanks, Alaska. You guys can put that picture up there. It looks like it's gonna be a beautiful place. Doesn't that look just incredibly beautiful? I'm hesitant though to call it a vacation. Here's why. We're going for one of our friend's weddings, but he just happens to plan his wedding for December. If you know anything about Alaska, they've got beautiful snow in December, but in Alaska in the winter, they experience this thing called polar winter. In fact, December is the month where they will see the shortest days out of the whole year. The week that we are there, we will see about three to four hours of sunlight per day. 20 plus hours of darkness. So rather than seeing this, what we're gonna see is this. Nothing. <laughs> On top of that, I looked at the forecast, the high temperature is like negative 10. I texted my friend and I was like, hey, what do I pack? And he said, bring thermal underwear and a headlamp. And I'm like, Lord, send me to Hawaii, please. Like, <laughs> so I don't know if it's gonna be a vacation, but it will be an adventure. Anybody wanna join me there? Or are you all going to Hawaii too? There we go, a few of us, awesome. Now, if you think three to four hours of sunlight is bad, this is the northernmost town in Alaska called Barrow. 
It's got a more specific name, but I can't pronounce it. Barrow has just seen their last day of sunlight for two months. They will not see sunlight from November to January. That's crazy. As I was researching for this trip to Alaska, I came across this statistic. It turns out the state with the longest winter and the shortest days also has one of the highest rates of seasonal depression in the world. Listen to this statistic. It says seasonal affective disorder, otherwise known as SAD, affects nearly 10% of Alaska's population, ranking among the highest percentages ever recorded. This condition occurs when winter's darkness takes hold, creating high levels of depression, anxiety, lethargy, and hopelessness. As it turns out, when you take away light, you take away hope. So if you visit Alaska, you can, don't worry about the bear spray. You're far more likely to get attacked by depression than hope just by like a UV sun lamp. So when you take away light, you take away hope. This is literally biblical. Listen to it, Proverbs 29, 18. It says, where there is no vision, the people perish. That word vision is a Hebrew word and it's hazon. And it doesn't mean so much physical vision like I'm looking at you right now. It more so means spiritual vision, like connection with the Lord, relationship with the Lord. So where there is no connection with the Lord, people perish and isn't that so true? People every single day in our world literally perish for lack of hope. And you might think like darkness from November to January is bad, but the truth is, friends, most people in our world have lived their whole lives in a spiritual polar winter without Jesus, devoid of hope. Because where there is no light, there is no hope. But I've come today to tell you that there is still hope and his name is Jesus and he's still the one who brings light into dark places and he's still the one in the business of calming anxiety and he still reunites broken marriages and he's still got a plan for your future when you see that like there's no way. He's still the one who binds up the broken hearted and sets the captives free and redeems the suicidal and his name is Jesus and if you've got breath in your lungs, there is still hope hope for you. Amen? Amen. There's hope for you. Turn to the person next to you and say kind of sarcastically, there's even hope for you. <laughs> Do that right now. There's hope for you. So Luke 1 and 2, they tell us the story of Jesus' birth. But funnily enough, it doesn't start with Jesus. It starts a couple steps back with this man named Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Now, we come to find out as we read the text that Zechariah is a priest. He serves and works in the temple. And his wife Elizabeth and him have a problem and they are barren. They are unable to have children. So pick up the story with me in Luke 1 verse 5. Or 6, sorry. About Zechariah and Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, he was serving as priest before God. He was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, 
to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. When the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Pause there for a minute. Zechariah and Elizabeth have a problem. They are barren. Now, this is a culture and time that doesn't exactly understand barrenness as medical infertility. Rather, they see barrenness as a curse and a punishment from God. But wait, the, the scripture said, Zechariah and Elizabeth observed the law of the Lord, what? Blamelessly. They are so careful to do what is right. They honor and revere the Lord God, and yet they are barren, but they know they're blameless. But I can just hear the voices talking behind their backs. Oh, what did Zechariah and Elizabeth do? Oh, they're so perfect in, in person, right? In church, they got their best on, but what sin did they commit? They're barren. God's punishing them for something. Can't you just hear it? Blameless and barren. And the thing about this journey of infertility is it is a roller coaster of letdowns. I mean, every month is another letdown. I bet when they first got married and started maybe trying for a child. They tried, nothing. The next month tried, nothing. And eventually it hit them, hey, there's a problem. And so I bet they brought it to the Lord. God, you know what we need. You know our heart's desire. Would you give us a child? And they tried and the next month comes around, nothing. And they just a little bit more let down every time. It's okay, Elizabeth. The Lord is faithful. He's good. His promises never fail. He'll, he'll come through in the next month, nothing. And they try and Zechariah says, God, Elizabeth, his ways are not our ways and his thoughts are not our thoughts. He'll come through and they try again, nothing. And this goes on for month after month and now the scripture says they are advanced in years. In other words, they have no hope. And it gets even worse. Zechariah the priest gets chosen by Lot to enter the temple and burn incense. The burning of the incense represents prayers going up to God. The man of God, whose own prayer God won't even answer, now has to go pray for the nation. Now this is great. Can you imagine how he's feeling as he walks into the temple? Probably not a very hope-filled prayer. Let's keep going. Verse 11, it says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. The prayer for the nation? No. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or another fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. He'll bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. Get this, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel says, don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. And you know what happens next, don't you? Zechariah doesn't buy it. But we're so old, how is this gonna happen? And even through his doubt, his wife Elizabeth becomes pregnant. Listen to her shout of praise in verse 25. She says, the Lord has done this for me. In these days, he's shown his favor and taken away my disgrace. 
among the people. Don't be afraid. Your prayer has been heard. Friend, do you know this morning that the Lord hears your prayers? He does. And that's a cause for hope. I wonder this morning, what are you hoping for? What is it that's in your spirit or in your mind right now? What are you hoping for? Back in Bible college, before my wife Allison and I were even married, we were dating and we were broke. I mean, we were broke as a joke. I remember going to every uh, church luncheon and birthday party, whether I was invited or not, because they had free food. And I was bringing home leftovers. Like, I don't know if that was allowed, but we were broke. Adam's nodding because he knows free food is good food, right, my man? We were so broke. And I vividly remember one time, I pulled up to Allison's house to pick her up. She was living in a house with five or six other girls at the time to pay rent. She had two other girls living in her room. And I picked her up in the car that we shared. And she told me, hey, I just wish I had a lamp. And she hadn't even prayed about it. But I just wish I had a lamp. Like sometimes at night, I just wanna read or write, but I don't wanna turn on the light and wake up the other two girls. I just wish I had a lamp. Problem was, we didn't have money for a lamp. And we didn't even have time to pray for it because she got in the car and we drove down the road and on the side of the road in front of someone's driveway, there was a big pile of their junk and you guess what was buried in that pile of junk. It was a lamp. We pulled the car over, we stopped, we got out of the car, picked it up. We thought it was the coolest thing. You guys can put it up there. We were just like praising God. We're like, a lamp, this is amazing. God heard our prayer. And then we looked closer at it and our hearts were so moved because on the base of the lamp, there was this note and it said this, I'm madly in love with you, Jesus. Friend, the Lord hears your prayer. That is a cause for hope. Whether it's a big thing like barrenness or a small thing like a lamp. Whether you've been praying about it for 30 seconds or 30 years, the Lord hears your prayer. And I wanna tell you, if you've got a hope today, if you've got a prayer today, God can give you a praise tomorrow. You might be barren today, but with the Lord, guess what? You can be pregnant tomorrow. You might be unemployed today, but the Lord can provide a job for tomorrow. You might be broken today. Oh man, but God can heal you and make you whole tomorrow. There's hope for you. There's hope for the future. Turn to the other person next to you, the one you previously ignored, and say, there's hope for your future. <laughs> Do that right now. There's hope for the future because of Jesus' birth. The angel appears to Zechariah. Elizabeth becomes pregnant. The angel says to them, your son will prepare the way for the Lord. That's pretty incredible. Like, supernatural intervention, birth, that's a crazy story, angels, temple. But what makes this even more incredible is that there's a guy named Isaiah, and he wrote about this event to come some 700 years before it happened. Listen to his words in Isaiah 40, verse three. Isaiah writes, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And that's what John the Baptist would go on to do. His ministry would take place largely in the desert. He would prepare a way for the Lord. I don't think you guys are getting the enormity of this prophecy. 
Let me illustrate it for you. Any football fans in the room? Raise your hands, there we go. Michigan fans, raise your hands a little higher. Hey, now we're raising our hands. State fans just walked out right now. I don't know if you saw that online, I'm just kidding. But imagine this, if I told you this morning, hey, the next Super Bowl, I'm not talking this coming one, I'm talking Super Bowl 2023. I could tell you out of the whole NFL right now the two teams that are gonna be in it. You'd be like, wow, that's crazy. Uh, what if I told you, though, out of those two teams, I know the one that's going to win? Not only that, I could tell you the exact score. You'd probably say, Chandler, stop tithing. Go and bet that money or something. <laughs> but after that, hey, I can tell you the stats of the game. Every fumble and interception and touchdown and field goal, I can tell you it all. You'd probably say that is highly improbable. Uh, what if I said, by the way, it's going to be the Lions that are going to win? You'd be like, okay, now it's impossible. <laughs> Not happening. <laughs> and by the way, what if I did that 700 years before it happened? Before the Super Bowl ever happened? Before the Super Bowl was ever a thing? Do you see how miraculous this prophecy is? But that's not the only birth that Isaiah prophesies. He also writes of the one for whom John the Baptist is making the way for. Listen to chapter nine, verses six to eight. He writes, for to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders. He'll be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing it and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now, when Isaiah wrote this, if anyone needed hope, it was Israel, the people he was writing to. They were surrounded on all sides by enemies. They were a people who lived in constant fear of invasion. Their prayer would have been, God, if you would just protect us. Lord, if you would just smite our enemies. So when Isaiah writes these words to them, he writes about this Messiah to come who has a pretty impressive resume. He'll be a mighty God, prince of peace. He's gonna reign on David's throne. His government will have no end and they're thinking, this will be great. One problem, it's not gonna happen for some 700 more years. And isn't that how it works sometimes? We've got our problems and our issues and the struggles of every day and we think, God, if you would just take care of these. And yet we can't quite see the big picture that he's already gone ahead of us and is working on a much bigger scale. Well, while the Israelites were worried about their physical enemies, God was going ahead to defeat sin and death and the grave. So we can go into the future with confidence, knowing that our God has gone before us. I love the old hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness. And I think the hymnist understood this truth when he wrote it. The hymnist wrote, strength for today. God, would you give me strength to make it through the challenges of today? And by the way, a bright hope for tomorrow. There's hope for the future. And because of Jesus' birth, there's hope for this world. Can you say it with me? We're gonna say there's hope for the world. Say it with me. There's hope for the world. That's a bit harder to say, isn't it? It doesn't roll off the tongue as easily. Is there hope for this world? I looked at the news for like five minutes on my phone this week, 
And I was just driven to prayer looking at the devastating and horrific events even of this last week. So dark, so messed up, so broken. And I'm asking, is there hope for this world? Maybe some of you have asked the question, do we really wanna bring children into this world? I mean, it's so messed up. This world used to be such a better place. In fact, I was reading what one guy wrote. I don't think he thinks there's much hope for this world, but he's pretty funny. He writes, 20 years ago, Johnny Cash, Steve Jobs, and Bob Hope were still alive. Now, we've got no cash, no jobs, and no hope. Lord, please let Kevin Bacon live. (laughs) This world used to be such a better place. Is there hope for this world? And the truth is there is. Because of the next birth in this story, this would not be a birth out of barrenness. This would be a birth out of abstinence. And you say, abstinence, how can that be? It doesn't work that way. And I'm sure that's what the Israelites would have said too when Isaiah wrote these words. The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive, wait, what? And give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. The virgin will give birth. In uh, middle school, I never understood this. The The virgin will give birth. But the problem wasn't so much that Mary was a virgin. The problem was that I was homeschooled. Some of you are just getting that. In high school, a little later, I got some special revelation. That's why that doesn't work. Okay, the virgin, okay, I got it. But I don't think even Mary knew how this was gonna work. In fact, I know she didn't know. Listen to what she says in Luke chapter 1, 34. The angel appears to her and says, hey, you're gonna become pregnant, and she says, how will this be? Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. Is this world dark? Yeah. Is it messed up? Yeah. Is it sinful? Yeah. Is there hope for this world? Yes, there is. Because the Virgin Mary is given a child by the Holy Spirit. That baby in the manger grew up and he said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, I think, notices, hey, There's way too many people perishing because of lack of vision. Hey, just follow me. If you follow me, you will never again be in darkness. This last year, Allison and I made a big purchase that we weren't exactly expecting to make. We got to purchase a Jeep that was very sentimental to us and we could not pass up the opportunity. This is a picture of it. Very cool old Jeep. Now, when we got it, in some ways, it's a 30-year-old Jeep with low miles. In other ways, it had a handful of problems that needed to be fixed. So we spent the last kind of springtime fixing up this Jeep to ready it for the summer. Now, I learned a very valuable lesson one summer night last summer. I was driving down the road from Grand Haven to Allendale. And now you have to know, I'd fixed a lot of issues on this Jeep, 
but there was one issue that I hadn't quite fixed as I drove down these windy roads in the pitch black with my friend in the passenger seat, trees lining the ditches, and that issue was the electrical wiring for the headlights. We're driving in the pitch black down the back roads and all of a sudden, the lights cut out completely. And I kind of slow down and I'm squinting my eyes like trying to make out the curves in the road from the sparsely like lined uh, street lamps. And I'm thinking, how's this gonna work? We might have to stop and leave the Jeep. We're stuck. And my friend in the passenger seat reaches into his pocket and pulls out little LED flashlight. And we didn't have the top on the Jeep at that time, so he reaches above the windshield and he turns the light on. He's pointing it at the road like this. And we progressed all the way home. 50% total fear, we're gonna die. 50%, this is hilarious. Think about the person coming in the other lane. What, were they too cheap to buy a light bar? What's going on? Like, it was amazing, and we made it home. But I learned this lesson. Your Jeep can have big tires. It can have a big lift kit. And it can have a big engine, but without light, you're stuck in the dark. Isn't that so true of this world today? There's people with big muscles and big bank accounts and big social media followings, but they are stuck in spiritual darkness. And there is no one shining a light ahead of them. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness. And then he goes on and he tells his disciples and by extension us, he says, hey, by the way, you are the light of the world. I wanna give you a bit of a challenge as we end this service this morning. So I recognize that outside of these church doors here at Livestream, if you're watching online, as soon as you click out of this live stream, live stream, there is a world outside of our doors that is dying. Most people are still experiencing a spiritual polar winter, fumbling around in the dark, just grasping for something of substance, filling their bank accounts just to find that their soul is more empty using substances to try and find a high just to find that the next day of their life they're at the lowest point they've ever felt. Swiping right over and over to find love and only finding more and more disappointment. And some people, man, they're living a good life, but deep down it's so empty, they're just thinking there's got to be more to this life, and the truth is there is. By the way, you are the light of the world. I think it's kind of hard to talk about Jesus being the hope of the world this Christmas season when there are people outside of our doors perishing for lack of hope. I mean, we're named Lifestream Church. Literally, we have here a well of spiritual water that wells up to eternal life if you just know the source, Jesus, and there's people outside who are dying of thirst. And the truth is, most of you this morning have an empty seat next to you, don't you? Here's my challenge for you. This week, be the light of the world. What if you were to spread the gospel? What if you were to invite someone next week? Think of how these seats would be filled. And not just for numbers sake, I'm looking at empty seats being filled and I'm seeing marriages being restored. I'm looking at these empty seats being filled and I'm seeing patterns of familial behavior that's been passed down through the generations being broken in Jesus' name. I'm looking at these empty seats being filled and I'm seeing people's eternities 
being turned around in Jesus' name. Friend, you are the light of the world. This week, don't hide your light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Would you stand with me? You can grab your prayer ornaments. In a moment, we're gonna put them on the tree. But friend, because of Jesus, there is hope for you. He hears your prayers and is madly in love with you. Here you go, you can have mine since I just broke. Don't drop it. (laughs) Because of Jesus, there is hope for the future. Where you don't see a way, he's gone before you for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years for all time, in fact. And because of Jesus, there is hope for this world. And by the way, friend, you are the light of the world. So in a moment, we're gonna bring up the prayer ornaments and hang them on the trees, our prayers. Before we do, the kids are gonna come. We're gonna let them go first. After that, we're gonna come up from the front rows to the back rows. Once the row in front of you comes back, you can then go. But I'm fully aware that in this moment, I'm probably talking to people who don't have Jesus as the hope of their life. I'm sure there are people listening who recognize and go, hey, when you talked about that emptiness inside, yeah, that was me. Man, my life is so dark. If that's you, why don't you just write on that little paper in your ornament, Jesus, you are the hope of my life. We'd love to have a conversation with you. You can come up to the front and talk to us here or after, but make this that moment. And for the rest of you, hey, let's be bold this week, yeah? Let's go out and give the greatest gift we could ever give this Christmas, the light of Jesus. Let's bow our heads and pray. Jesus, we thank you for coming to this earth. You didn't have to. Thank you for creating us and caring enough to redeem us. Jesus, for living the life we never could and dying the death we never would so that we could be made right with you. Jesus, because of you, there is hope for us. Thank you, God, that there's hope for the future. And I pray over people who feel right now that there is no way forward. They're stuck in a dead end and there's nowhere to turn, surrounded on every side. Jesus, would you give them peace in this moment that you are with them? Jesus, I thank you that you are the hope for this world. Would you help us to shine your light so brightly today in Jesus' name? And everyone said?